everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the Behind the Stigma podcast. I'm your host, Yara Minova, and in this week's episode, we are back with psychotherapist and the lovely Nasreen Maktabi with a discussion on love addiction. Today, we're going to ask some questions to help us gain a deeper understanding of love addiction, as well as the factors that contribute to its development, the impact it can have on an individual's life, and ways in which it can be addressed. For those who have not yet listened to our previous episodes, Nasreen Maktabi is a registered psychotherapist from Canada who works with patients dealing with low self-esteem, post-traumatic stress, women's mental health, trauma, to name a few. Nasreen has been on the BTS podcast before to talk about attachment styles and also relationship and dating, both very well-received episodes with one which we can all relate to very well. So it's very exciting to have her back here with us today. Nasreen, welcome. Thank you for coming back on the podcast. Thank you, Sierra, for having me. It's always a pleasure talking to you, having amazing discussions. Oh, thank you. Likewise. So I really... I'm very excited for this episode. Essentially, you know, you came up with this um, topic and you informed me that the term love addict was first coined by Pia Melody. And I'm very grateful that you introduced me to her because her work is absolutely awesome and very excited for you to get into that a little bit more. But as always, I like to um, start with definitions to kind of clarify the concepts of things. So uh, maybe we can just start with what we mean when we say love addict and maybe even some characteristics of someone who would have such a behavior. Absolutely. So Pia Melody goes very deep into love addiction and she has a book and a website. Her book is Love Addiction. So love addicts are basically people roaming around the earth and they're like, they could be anybody. And some of the characteristics are people who are really preoccupied with relationships and falling in love. It, it really, it becomes like an obsession for them. And they, when they fall in love, they get this feeling of uh, such ecstasy and it's the, the falling in love is linked with some hormones that are secreted by the brain that they become really high, almost like taking a drug. Mm-hmm. And so they, one of the characteristics is that they feel powerless when they fall in love, as if they are in some kind of trance or under a spell. And so they, they lose the ability to make wise decisions, wise choices. And they're, Since their childhood or their teenage years, they are really preoccupied with love and romantic fantasies. And if they are not in a relationship, they fantasize about being in one all the time. And when they fall in love with someone, they idealize this person. And they feel that, you know, when this person contacts them, they are really happy, really joyful. They they get a high. That's why it's called addiction. And it becomes really as if love is the most important thing in the world for them, you know? And a lot of the time they become very jealous and possessive. But there is more, like some, sometimes this person also, if they are in a love triangle, meaning three people, like if they fall in love with someone who has someone, they do not walk away, right? So basically they are people who lose their ability to make wise choices, to see the signs that this is not working. If somebody, if they are dating someone and this person doesn't check in on them, they get anxiety. They get severe anxiety. They get overwhelmed. They might spy on someone. 
For example, a lot of these stories you hear about in the news when a man killed his wife or a woman got crazy, cut up her husband's things or her boyfriend's things. These are people who are severely love addicted. These mm. people like O.J. Simpson did that, right? And you remember the trial and he's a typical love addict. And Pia Melody in her website, she talks about it. There's many of these examples, people who lose sense of reality. This is the extreme end. They, they have no impulse control. They re, they think that this other person is everything. And like, like you, when you're addicted to a drug, you know, you would steal money to get mm. your drug. You would lie to get your drug. You, you would go into to do everything possible to have your drug. This is the same thing. It's almost as if like there's no reasoning anymore. Your emotional brain takes over and your rational brain is completely suppressed. What I find interesting is that what are the factors that contribute to the development of this love addiction profile? I'm assuming there's going to be something about childhood there. Okay, so I just want to highlight that not every love addict goes to these extreme things. But like, for example, um, you know, being overly possessive and jealous and being very afraid of being rejected. So the problem of love addiction is an abandonment issue because of an inconsistency in the childhood. So it's a... It's an anxious, ambivalent attachment, but to the very extreme. So they've had, it's, of course, a childhood attachment issue. And, you know, many factors are at play. It's like a lot of the time, love addicts had parents who were love addicts themselves, who were entangled in many relationships. And a lot of the time, the child had to become a parentified child and take care of the parent. And they have this thirst because when you're a child, you really need a safe parent. And when you don't have this, you've never developed emotionally. Your brain and emotions haven't developed. So you, you can't really separate between you and someone else. And they, the subconscious mind, their inner child, believes the love object is the primary caregiver. So your inner child, instead of seeking to be comforted by you, seeks to be comforted by the object, which is someone outside of you. And this is because when they were children, they, they couldn't reconnect with themselves through their parents. They had to keep on taking care of the parent, and they saw so much chaos and inconsistency. So really, it's bad luck when you've had such a childhood, to be honest, because there's no way that someone who has experienced such a difficult childhood to come out any differently. Then when they fall, when they have this a little bit of attention from someone else, this inner child is like, yes, yes, I found someone who's going to take care of my emotions. And then the inner child likes that. And is always looking for it. And when this other person is inconsistent or not there, it's like, uh-oh, what's going on? They're aggressive. They want to go get it. And they would do anything. A lot of people like move countries for someone maybe they don't know very well. And the interesting thing is they do these, they go for people who m might actually abandon them because the love addict is really overdoing it and this scares other people. So we can get into that. 
Yeah, that's super interesting. I've actually seen that kind of behavior. Would you say a love addict are those that would have that feeling of love at first sight, that they would see someone and then just be super, super obsessive about that person without knowing them, without having understanding of who that person is, but then they're like in love. And like you said, they're ready to like stalk them, like go to places just to see them, et cetera. And why though? But what is it that pulls them into that? So the the complexity, the the, the paradox really is that the love addict is not someone who is emotionally available. The love addict is somebody who's emotionally unavailable because they could not learn to be available for themselves through their parents when they were young. So they don't know how to be intimate. They don't know how to read the signs. They don't know how to relate from a mature level. They have developmental problems emotionally. So that's where it comes from. A lot of the time for people who are not really interested or are interested in the beginning and then lose interest because they never really had someone who was really interested in them, right? Because their parents were themselves overwhelmed people who were very busy with their own lives, who were consumed by their problems. A lot of the times my clients who are love addicts their parents cheated on each other and the parent would reach for my client when they were a child to support them with the other person cheating. But I, I know someone who was in this situation where he was a child and his parents cheated and he found out and he was advocating for the parent. And then one of the parents told them, this is not your problem. This is between me and your other parent. You are a child. And then this broke the cycle of perpetuating the trauma because this person's parents were cheating and then their grandmother was obsessed with her cheating husband for a long time, all her life, right? So it's like a generational pattern, this kind of obsession. Wow. Holy shit, this makes so much sense. I feel like it's also when parents are fighting and then one parent tells you to choose side, pick me or pick the other. And then you have that instability that if I choose this parent, I'll get love maybe from them. Essentially, it's almost like one of the parents is not like emotionally blackmailing. That's like going a little too far. Obviously, it's not intentional from their end, right? It's like something that they've carried. But then it leaves that same cycle. And it's so crazy because um, my sister had a situation where she's told me, never get involved in parent dynamics, you know, that's not your thing to handle as a child. And I feel like maybe a lot of kids do experience that. Yeah, this is called the parentification. And and it you hit the point. I have a client who her parents ended up divorcing, but... Since she was a child, there was a lot of fighting and the divorce was so brutal. Like this happens a lot, but some people it's excruciatingly hard to see how the parents pit the children against each other. And this person ended up with huge, huge love addiction issue, getting in love with somebody who's more than twice her age, who's only taking advantage of her. And after the this person dropped them, still 
think she, the client is still thinking about this person and but at least she's aware she wants to stop this but it's really it comes from the unconscious it's from the inner child who transposes the parent to this other human but the inner child thinks you're two and that you need this per- person to survive because in the, the subconscious really can see that mm. this person has characteristics like the parent which is rejector self-obsessed because for the person to turn up like this the parent was rejecting was self-obsessed even though maybe the parent didn't mean it but maybe the parent was overworking but when the parent kind of instead of the child reaching for support from the parent the parent is reaching for support from the child this makes it even so much more likely to become into the realms of love addiction where people really let go of their own well-being and they don't do rational decisions like one type of love addict for example is called a torchbearer a torchbearer will stay in love with someone years after the relationship has ended that there's a big obsession part with love addiction that's different than any other regular attachment issues right it's someone like that stays obsessed and thinks about it all the time wow yeah i can't help but ask because you mentioned about um attachment styles in that sense how is the love addict different or i would say are love addicts a certain type of attachment style like are they the insecure attachment or are they related but somewhat different yeah so love addicts have an attachment style and they are codependent co- very codependent plus they have a lot of the time ambivalent anxious attachment style and what that is it's basically like i said somebody who is not capable of regular mature adult intimacy so what this is the ambivalent a lot of my clients when i take their history if the, the love addicts one we find out that when they had someone who was genuinely interested in them sorry i have cats and there the someone is genuinely interested in them and wants to be with them and reach out to them the love addict has a reaction that's repulsed they don't like it sometimes they have a visceral reaction sometimes they just are not interested they cannot it's too much for them because they don't know what to do with it but when somebody is like a little bit mysterious and there's a hook there for the inner child who's like hopeless and ready to give up themselves then they get attracted then they get into the relationship which ultimately falls on their head makes sense so it's the ambivalent attachment style they're they're both anxious and avoidant so when somebody runs to them they run away they have a very severe reaction so the love addict is essentially who someone who avoids genuine connection and love but they crave and get addicted or obsessed with those people that are actually and on a subconscious level to them unavailable and because it reminds them of what they were used to or have seen and have felt as a child so to them that's essentially the norm and they run after that because our brains don't know the difference right essentially it's the feeling or the emotion that is familiar 
Did, did I understand that? Correct. And that's why it's also called a trauma bond, because it's your inner child, your subconscious, your automatic response that's just attracted to this person. If you're, if you have a little, some attachment issues, if somebody is rejecting you, you're okay with it. But if you have these severe attachment issues, if somebody is rejecting you, you're like, I have to work harder to get them. Maybe I did. So, so they start blaming themselves and thinking that they hone in, zone in, obsess about this person and they cannot take rejection. The, the big characteristics of love addiction is this big phobia to rejection. You know, if you start dating someone, it doesn't work out, you move on. But these people do not want to be rejected. So they're ready to do everything to avoid the rejection. Running after the person, chasing after them, staying in a relationship with someone married, right? They stay, you know, like they, they would, their values, they would like compromise their values and stay with a married man, let's say. So in that sense, the rejection is the biggest wound. They do not, they're afraid to feel rejected and they don't know how to be in a functioning relationship. Like what are the basics of the functioning relationships? And okay, this person does not meet my needs for that functioning relationship. So he's not available. He has another girlfriend or another wife. Okay. I don't have to stay with him. I can meet someone else. But no, this person is fixated. This is the one because when they get it, because this other person is truly unavailable. So when they're available and he calls her, even though he's with his wife, they, they're like, oh my God, I'm so special. This is a hit. They get a hit of endorphins and they think they're going to be picked. They're the special one. So it's really convoluted in the brain. Wow, that's super interesting. I wonder if there is a spectrum, though, um, in a sense that is there like an in-between? Is there a middle part between like an extreme version of a love addict, but also someone who might have mild love addict tendencies, but they're still somewhere within the functional or or from your experience, from people who've, you know, you've... um like your clients that you've seen, is it usually quite obvious in terms of their behavioral patterns? Somebody who's a love addict has met most of them, including, you know, feeling miserable for a long time after a breakup and idealizing the idea of being in a relationship. So your question really is if there is a spectrum, extreme or like, yeah, I would say the extreme ones are the ones who spy, kill the other person, stay in the triangles. And then there's the ones who are like light love addicts, but ultimately they stay alone because what happens is that either they're always in a relationship, they stay for a long time in a bad relationship where their needs are not being met where their partner is abusing them and cheating on them because they they cannot be alone. They don't tolerate loneliness. They're afraid of being the rejection because when they leave that person, they're going to be rejected. And, and really, like, once you get this concept, you're going to see that so many people around you are love addicts. And the media, TV, movies, TV shows, and songs, romantic songs, really 
inflate the idea that love is going to solve all your problems. I mean, look at Cinderella, right? That she was miserable before meeting her man. And then when she met him, he was a shine and bright and he saved her life. And then she became this princess and she lived happily ever after. And look at all like Princess Diana. But the reality is, look, let's look at Princess Diana. Was she happily ever after? Uh-uh. She was a love addict. She stayed while he was cheating on her with someone else. She stayed miserable for years, right? But then she finally left him. And even her husband, Prince Charles, he was a love addict because he couldn't, uh, like it wasn't working with his wife, right? And he stayed with her and he got married to the other woman because he loved Pamela before he met Lady Diana, right? So this like impossible love, these kind of impossible situations, staying in bad relationships forever because you can't be alone. And then a lot of the times, the love addicts, if they get rejected, it hurts so much the rejection because, you know, they do everything. They tolerate the impossible. They manipulate, they control, they change themselves. They, you know, if you have a friend who, when she meets someone, you never hear from her again, that's a love addict because you know what? Now she's all about the boyfriend changes or, or he does that. They change their interests. They, they want to be loved. Like they want to fit in what the idea might be because they don't have an identity. So that's a love addict. So if this person finally gets rejected and experiences the rejection, it hurts so much for them. They might never want to be in a relationship. They, it would be so difficult for them to try to love again. I know that love addiction is, isn't actually, isn't currently, you know, recognized as an official diagnostic category. I mean, there are people who are skeptic of diagnostic categories in general, so I'm not going to get into that. But my point is that are there any evidence-based therapies for, I wouldn't use the word treatment, but basically for treating love addiction, whether it's, I don't know, CBT or couples therapy, but I know you said you use psychotherapy. So what are the ways of people? So mainly, I think the first point is for the person to hit rock bottom. Because what happens when you go with your love addiction and you stay with, because you could be two love addicts together. One is the avoidant narcissist and one is the anxious. And you suffer being with the narcissist because the narcissist is really abusing you and keeping you around like a doormat. And you take it because you're the anxious love addict who is willing to take anything just to be in a relationship, right? So when you do this, your life falls apart. You feel horrible at the end. And this is when a lot of people come to 12-step groups and to therapy, there's a, usually a part of them that wants to get better, wants to get out of the suffering. And the key is that, because, you know, a lot of um, philosophers say, you know, it's the suffering, the key to your knowing yourself and ultimately feeling better, right? So that's what makes them want to change, right? And then when they come to therapy with the, the seed of the pain, 
it's really their inner child crying for love. But nobody knows how much it hurts except you. You know how much your inner child is hurting. And that's the key is to start developing this relationship with your inner child. So what what really has been going on is that the inner child is a traumatized, frozen in time part of you because of the childhood trauma. That's the nature of trauma. It's, it's frozen because there was no resolution. And this part of you had to develop the set of characteristics and behaviors to survive, which is keep saving the parent, wanting the parent there, because that's what you do when you're in a relationship. You do everything for the other person. You want to fix them. You want to save them. So they're frozen in time. And what happens is that this inner child has been looking outside all your life to get their needs met. It hasn't realized that you're now a mature person and you do not need someone else to fulfill your basic needs and your emotional needs. So there's the emotional development gap. It doesn't know how, you don't know how to deal with your emotions of your difficult emotions of sadness, rejection. It takes sometimes a lot of time, but people get around to it where they can feel their inner child and their inner child can see them. That's the key because the inner child didn't trust you because the adult self let the inner child go around begging for love with all the wrong people and getting hurt. So it takes time and developing your inner loving parent to really start having gentle love to your inner child. And it, it's, it's a process, but it's a beautiful one where you get in touch with yourself at different ages. And what does this part want? What's the infant self want? What's the teenager self want? Because the teenager might be more rebellious. And give yourself those things instead of like throwing yourself at other people's feet. Wow, that Nasreen, that was very, very beautifully said. I really love the part where you explore different ages of your inner child. I really never thought of it that way. When I think of the concept of inner child, I always think of one particular age. And yet your inner child grows along with you. And essentially, each of that demands a different form of love at each stage. So that was very beautiful. I also definitely agree. Suffering initially brings you a lot of realization and also a lot of peace, which is like a paradox in itself, but it's true. Life is suffering is like something that a lot of Buddhists say as well, which when you accept that, you kind of accept the happiness and that's a step of you understanding. I do want to go into identifying how can someone know if their partner is a love addict? Are there any signs that they could look out for? Okay, that's a that's a good question. I it's not a bad thing to be a love addict once you're aware of it and want to work on it. And you could be truly interested and in love with someone and they're a love addict. And then you can go to couples therapy and like, be honest to this partner. Like if you find your partner is, you know, very afraid of rejection, keeps calling you. And if you don't answer immediately, they freak out. I mean, there's different levels, but if they reach a level that's really dysfunctional and 
intolerable, then you can have a talk with them about it and just say, hey, you know, I'm here. Like if you really love this person, I'm here. I'm really available for you. But I've noticed that recently you've been acting out in ways that seem a little bit irrational. And I'm wondering if there's something going on inside, you know, if you need any reassurance from me and start the conversation going. But I would say just any extreme behaviors. I I also, I also feel like it could be opposite ways too. Maybe if someone has that love addict personality, it can be, it should go the other way that they should also communicate that, hey, I've noticed that recently I've been getting more triggered. Um, I noticed that, you know, you've been giving me less attention and it's creating some form of, you know, emotions within me. Can we talk it out? Can we go through it? Is this also something that you would advise for people who have these forms of um, uncertainty? So a relationship will not always be the same, right? Sometimes as time goes on, maybe some part one will get maybe a little bit too busy with work, is not as available as before. And the anxious attached person, the one who's love addict, this will ring a very strong alarm. Like they will feel a big sensation in their body because their their inner system, their different parts are going to tell them, oh, we're in danger, danger. We have to do something about it. So yeah, so if the partner noticed this and talks to them, but ultimately the love addict needs to calm themselves down by checking in with the inner children. So if the couple have an understanding, because we're all good people, unless we're doing something really bad to someone else, like they can check in, the partner can say something like, you know, I've noticed you've been acting out in some irrational ways, like your your love addict behaviors. Let's say somebody starts messaging all the time, talk, calling a lot, and there's nothing to worry about, or just sticking to their partner a lot and canceling all their plans and just staying home waiting for their partner at their beck and call. Some, you know, it depends and they can have a conversation, but ultimately you have to be responsible for yourself. You have to be responsible for your reactions and meeting your own needs. You cannot get, you know, if you feel angry, lash out at someone. If somebody like, if your partner doesn't, a lot of love addicts, what they do, if the partner isn't there, they don't talk to their partner and the partner doesn't talk to them and they start looking for someone else. They start fantasizing about their ex-boyfriend, let's say, and contacting them, or they start flirting with other people here and there because they're like, they're addicted to attention. They just want it from somewhere else. So ultimately, the responsibility is for you to meet your own needs so that you're not getting them in dysfunctional ways from other people. Are love addicts generally possessive and jealous types? Absolutely. This is one of the characteristics that they are possessive and jealous and controlling. Because the love avoidant Mm. narcissist is also a love addict. So even though they are mean to their partner, they're obsessed with them. They want they don't want them to leave their controlling and they're abusive to them. And again, that goes back to that instability that they had at a younger time. So Nasreen, 
since I am wary of time, as a final question then, what can we do then? How can individuals work to develop healthy and fulfilling relationships, both with themselves and with others after recovering from love addiction? And perhaps it would be useful if maybe you can give some practical tools, kind of in the moment, things that people can do or love addicts can do when they get triggered or move away from those love addictive tendencies? Good question. So the the main thing is to know yourself. And to know yourself, you want to check in with your inner child. So the main thing is to wake up in the morning, put your hand on your heart and check in with little you. Hey, how are you? And and listen. So I tell my clients to get a journal with beautiful pens and to write a dialogue and to start listening. Like, let's say you start feeling frustrated, angry, and you don't know what's going on. Get a pen and a paper and let this part of you that's angry and frustrated write what's going on. Something is happening. Oh, the event got canceled, let's say, and I'm frustrated. Like I'm not going to get to dress up and go. And so this part of you is angry and it wants to go, let's say, one of the things I tell my clients is not to go dating for a while. No dating to recover from the love addiction, to give yourself time to love your part. So let's say the, this person is not dating and then they start they, they have a social event that gets canceled and they get frustrated. So they want to act out by going on the dating app and swiping and talking to people and started flirting. And this is giving your power away because, you know, part, there's a part of you that wants to get dressed up, go out and have fun and socialize. And it was waiting for it. It was disappointed, right? So there's another, so there's a feeling of rejection, a small feeling of rejection and not getting what you want. And there's another part of you that wants to not feel the rejection. So it wants to protect you, but this is a teenager part. And the teenager part usually has the characteristics of uh, quickly protecting the part that feels the rejection, that no rejection, no, cannot feel pain. Uh, uh, it's that part is the exiled part, the, the part of the pain we don't want to feel. That's too much. So, okay, quick fix. Let's go on the app. Let's talk, call the ex. Let's binge on chips. Let's, uh, you know, acting out behaviors that really don't serve us. So ultimately, when you start slowing down, developing a daily practice of meditating, checking in, and then drawing what we call gentle boundaries. So once you notice there was this disappointment, and then there's another part of you that, you know, it's, it's really very visceral and in your body. And that's how I work with my clients. We get in touch with the body because the parts and the emotions and your inner child lives in your chest, in your gut, in your shoulders, in your brain. And it sends you this big feeling of danger, danger, fire. And then you want to stop this feeling of fire. You go to act out. So you, you draw boundaries. You say, okay, I hear you. I can handle this emotion. Let's calm it down. A few breaths, maybe some incense. And sit with the part that's feeling the rejection. And say, it's going to be okay. And draw boundaries with the teenager that's wanting to run away from the pain so quickly 
and tell them, listen, I'm the adult. I'm going to take care of my inner child, the one who's rejected. You don't have to protect me, protect us by doing, uh, acting out behaviors that ultimately are not in our best interest, but we're going to come up with a different solution. So that's how we do it. And you do something healthy. Maybe you call a friend, you eat a healthy salad, you, you, you plan something else with other friends the other day. You work with it and you satisfy your internal system by, by really being there for yourself and showing your inner child that, listen, I'm here for you. And that's how you build the relationship with yourself. And that's how you then go into healthy relationships slowly but surely. Wow, Nasreen, that was very, very beautifully said. Um, I especially love the part where you said, sit with the emotions. I also think observing the emotions, that's something I've been practicing a lot myself lately. Instead of being with the emotion, just sitting it and separating it from yourself. And I find that to be very helpful. So thank you so much for sharing these tools. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And that's how you create the distance, but like a loving and caring one. Yeah. Nisreen, this has been wonderful as always. Thank you so, so much for your time. Uh, I'm so excited to put this episode out into the world and have more people hear about The Love Addict because I think it's not as well recognized and discussed as, for example, the attachment style. So I'm really happy that you shared this with us. I mean, I'm so happy to to talk about it and put it out there because people don't realize that it's such a precious and, and sacred work to do to when you work with your own self, you can then have healthier relationships with other people and you can have a, a better life for yourself because only you can give yourself this better life. There's no saving. Absolutely. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in and listening. If you did like this episode, please like, share, or subscribe on your favorite podcast hosting site. As always, I will be linking Nisreen's description and her website to this episode. So do check it out and contact her if interested. Thank you again, and we'll catch you in the next episode.